Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. This is Leah Aroni. Today is the 10th of August, 2022, the 13th day of the Hebrew month of Av. And today, on this Parshat Ved Hanan, I would like to discuss the holiday of Tubi Av that is coming up on Friday. Tubi Av is a holiday that the sages say was one of the two happiest days of the year together with Yom Kippur. But it is such a minor holiday, most people don't even know what happened on this day. What makes it so special? And how is it relevant to our life? How can we use this holiday to the fullest to bring relevance to our life? If we know what it is all about, we will see how amazing this holiday actually is. So what is to be all about? What happened on this day? What's the significance of it? And how do we apply it to our life? So the sages tell us that on Tubi Av, there was a very interesting uh, ceremony taking place when the young women of Jerusalem would all borrow clothes from each other, white garments from each other, so that somebody who doesn't have a garment would not feel embarrassed, or somebody who doesn't have a beautiful garment would not be, feel embarrassed either, and she could borrow for somebody else. And all the young women of Jerusalem would dre- get dressed in these borrowed white garments and go into the orchards and dance and sing to the young men, uh, come and <laughs> find a wife for yourself. And the young men would come and choose a wife for themselves. And basically, this was um, date night, which sounds like a very strange way for people to get to know each other and also sounds very strange. Why would this be the happiest day of the year? So what happened on this day? If you see what happened on this day, you will find um, a collection of strange dates that don't really warrant for it to be the happiest day of the year. So first of all, during the wanderings in the desert the for the 40 years, on to be of people finished dying. During the 40 years of the wandering, the first generation, the generation that left Egypt, was decreed to die off, and only the children of that generation could go into the land of Israel. So every year on Tisha B'Av, the ninth day of Av, which just marked on Sunday, when this decree was made, the Jewish people of the previous generation, the generation that left Egypt, would basically dig their own graves, and at night every person would lie down in his grave, and in the morning whoever was alive would get up, and whoever was not alive would be buried on the spot. Sounds very gory. But that year, like every year, on Tisha B'Av, they dug the graves, they lay down in their graves, and in the morning, everybody got up. So the people thought that maybe they made a mistake in calculating the day of the month. So the next night, once again, they all lay down in their graves, and once again, they all got up. And they continued doing this for several days 
until they reach the 15th days of Af. On the 15th day of every Hebrew month, the moon is at its fullest. So once they saw a full moon, they understood that Shabbat for sure has passed and the decree has been nullified. And it was a huge celebration for the people of that generation that basically everybody who had to die died and now they could go into the land of Israel. So an interesting story, not very relevant to us. Let's go on. The next thing is that once again, during the generation of the wandering in the desert, there was a decree made that female orphans who did not have brothers could inherit a land from their fathers. But if they were to marry with men from a different tribe, their portion of the land would go over to that other tribe. So there was a decree made that people could only marry within their tribe. Um, that decree was made for its for that time, but people got confused and it continued even later. So at a certain point, the sages of that generation made a decree that the need for women to marry only inside their tribe was no longer relevant and the tribes could intermarry. So that was a big celebration. Really? What's so special about that? Okay, next. Later on, during the time of the prophets, about um, several hundred years after the Jewish people entered the land of Israel, was was a horrible, horrid story of Pelegish Bagiva, the concubine of Giva. It appears at the end of the book of Judges. I'm not going to go into that story. But what happened was basically the almost the entire tribe of Benjamin, Benjamin was killed out and the ones that were left was not allowed to marry with any other tribes. So after a certain time, that decree was also lifted and the tribe of Benjamin could intermarry with other tribes. Um, going on further down, after the rule of King Solomon, the Jewish nation split into two kingdoms, the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. The kingdom of Judah had two tribes and the holy temple, and the kingdom of Israel had ten tribes. And the king of Israel, he did not want the Jews of those ten tribes to be part of the temple service, so they would not be under the influence of the king of Judah. So he put sentries on the roads, preventing people from going to visit the temple. Later on, King Hosea of the northern uh, kingdom of Israel removed those sentries and enabled everybody, the 10 tribes, to go to the temple as well. And finally, after the Roman conquest of Judea, the Romans massacred the citizens of the city of Betar, who participated in the Bar Kokhva uprising, and the bodies of the citizens of Betar were hung on a fence for quite a while, but a miracle happened and they stayed intact and didn't rot. At a certain point, the slaughtered citizens of Betar were allowed to be buried, and that also happened on Tubiav. So we have a collection of seemingly unrelated stories, all of them 
appropriate to the time when they happened. It might have been a happy moment at the time that they happened, but what does that have to do with us? And once again, why would this be such a day of joy? If you notice the underlying theme of each one of these stories, each one of these stories came after a crisis or after a tragedy. So let's go through this once again. The people of the generation of the desert thought that they were all going to die. They all had to expiate the sins of that generation. But then came a time when everybody who had to die died and everybody who remained alive could go into the land of Israel. So it signifies an end of judgment and a new beginning. There was a tragedy. There was a crisis. It's over. And now we're going towards a new beginning. The same thing about the generation of women who could not marry into other tribes. There was a time, it was a crisis, it was a decree for its own time. There was a reason for it, but it also had negative implications that the tribes could not intermarry. But it's over, and now we can go forward to a new beginning. People can intermarry once again. Um, tribes can intermarry once again and become closer and there is a new beginning. The same is with the story of the tribe of Binyamin. There was a tragedy, there was a crisis, it's over and we can go forward. The same was the story of Hoshea. The two kingdoms were separated from each other and the people could not go to the temple but now that's over and they can go back to the temple and once again the story of Barakohva and Beitar there was a tragedy, there was a crisis, there was a massacre, but it's over. We can give it closure and move forward to the to new life. So every story we see here is about an end to a tragedy, an end to a sad story, and looking forward to the new beginning. And of course, if we understand that to be of comes six days after Tisha B'Av, which some of the stories being parallel, for example, the decree of Tisha B'Av was finished in the desert on Tu B'Av. On Tisha B'Av, the people of Bita were killed. On Tu B'Av, they were buried. We see some parallels. So after the sadness, the tragedy, the crisis, the tears, the mourning of Tisha B'Av, we give it a little bit of time, almost a week, and to be off comes to say, yes, there are tragedies in life, there are crises in life, there are hard times in life, there are the times that you go down, there are the times that you lose things, people, standing, status, whatever it is, you lose things, you suffer a loss, but there is always going to be a new beginning. And the sages connect the holiday of Tu Be'av to Yom Kippur. It's the two happiest days of the year, Tu Be'av and Yom Kippur. And what is Yom Kippur all about? It's about repentance. You made mistakes, you sinned, you went off the path that leads you towards godliness. You've lived your life in a less than perfect and full way. There are always second chances. There is a possibility of returning to who you are, who you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to be. And on Yom Kippur, we 
finish, we complete a 40-day cycle of repentance and we make promises to ourselves and to God and we rinse off all of our sins and start with a fresh beginning. So both of these holidays, Tobi Av and Yom Kippur, are connected to new happy beginnings after a tragedy or after sin or after negativity. And that is really a happy moment. The possibility to fix, the possibility to start all over, the possibility to get closure, to bring the past to the end, to understand that you went through something, but now it's over and you're on a new path. That's a very special time. That's a very special day. And this is truly a huge, huge reason to celebrate. And this is why the women of Jerusalem on both of these days would wear white garments, white symbolizing new, pure beginning. And they would take garments from other people. They would borrow them. No baggage, nothing left over. It's a borrowed garment. It's a new start. It's a new to me garment. So it was white, it was pure, it was new to me, and it symbolized a new beginning. And from here, they could call out to the young men of Jerusalem and say, Hi, where are you? You want to get married? Let's start a new thing. Let's start a new family. Let's start a new life. This is the time after everything is finished, after all the crises are gone, after we have repented and returned to who we are and what we should be, we can start on this new path of life. And I think this is such a relevant point for every single one of us, and especially during this time of the year. We are less than three weeks before Elul. Elul is the month of the year, the last month of the year that precedes Rosh Hashanah, that precedes the new beginning. And it's so important at this time to tell ourselves, look, whatever had happened this year happened. Good things, bad things, crises, whatever happened, happened. Give yourself the time to understand that it was, it's coming to a close, you're going to get closer, you're going to finish. If this year wasn't the kind of year you wanted it to be, Take those couple of weeks to wrap things up and go towards Elul where you can come towards God. Elul is a time to search ourselves, to see who are the people we want to be, that we can be, what is the work that we need to do to repent, to become better, to bring ourselves closer to God, to have another year ahead of us. It's going to be so much better, so much more fruitful, so much more productive. Get it, Give yourself closure, and with Elul, you can start a new beginning. You can do the preparatory work for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, so you can really start the next off year off on the right foot. And what is that new beginning that you want? What is that white garment that you want to wear? What is it that you want to borrow from the others so that you don't have to carry all this luggage, all this baggage with you? What it is that you want to offload? So many people carry baggage from one event to another event to another event. They never get closure. They never say, this was, it's over, and I can move on now. So many people have this 
file this archive of tragedies and stories and she told me he did it to me he said she said in the stomach and they carry this load for years sometimes decades and it prevents them from being who they can be and the Torah tells us look every tragedy every crisis every situation it ends everything in life ends the good and the bad you want to carry the good with you but the bad the crisis the hurt the pain you mourn it you have your tisha b'av moment for whatever tragedy you have a difficulty you have in life you've had your tisha b'av you've mourned you've given it time bring it to an end go get healing go fix it and when you do when you lift it off your shoulders when you take it off your back it's the happiest moment of your life it's the release and from there you can start something new you can start start something beautiful you can start a new life and i think this is such a big message for our generation because it is so easy to continue being a victim. It is so easy to continue telling ourselves that I can't because I have this story or that story or I couldn't do it last time or I tried and it failed. You know, I heard a beautiful thing from Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson this week. He said that when an animal goes through a trauma, for example, you have a gazelle that's walking around the forest and all of a sudden um, another animal, let's say a tiger or a lion, runs after it and it scratches it, it hurts it. And then the gazelle really makes it off, but it, it, it went through a traumatic experience. It was um, hunted and it got hurt. So what does a gazelle do in such a situation? When it is safe, it shakes violently for a few moments it shakes the trauma off and then it goes back to its uh, family and that's it it's over gazelles don't carry traumas from year to year from event to event why because they don't tell themselves stories it is the stories we tell ourselves about what happens to us that carry the trauma that carry the difficulty we can bring closure to those stories and we can start new stories so whatever happened, whatever you've had, whatever difficulty, trauma, pain, hurt, whatever baggage you're carrying, take this week to say, okay, it happened. I'm finishing off with it and I'm going on to new and beautiful things. And, you know, this really connects to something in this week's Torah portion. In this week's Torah portion, we are read the Ten Commandments for the second time as part of the big goodbye speech that Moshe Rabbeinu, that Moses gives to the Jewish people before he passes on and they go to the land of Israel. Once again, closure of one era and start of the other. Moshe Rabbeinu reads them the Ten Commandments for the second time. Now we know we have two sets of tablets in the Torah. The first set of tablets was broken after the sin of the golden calf and then Moshe creates the second set of tablets and this is a second set of ten commandments that Moshe recites to the Jewish people and that symbolizes once again the first set was broken you've messed up but there's always a second chance 
but you know what stands between you and that second chance? What stands between you and your ability to live a full, godly life the way God wants you to? Your ego. In this Torah portion, just before he reads the Jews, the Ten Commandments, for the second time, Moshe says, Ani omed b'neshem o'venechem. I stand between God and you. And the plain meaning is that I, Moshe Rabbeinu, stand between God and you, and I'm here to help you to learn the word of God. But the Hasidic masters say, I stand between God and you. What stands between God and you is your I. What stands between God and you, what separates between God and you, is your ego, is your sense of separate I. Now there is a separateness to you. There's the I and then there's everybody else. And that stands between us and godliness. And this I, this ego, the stories we tell ourselves about who we are and what the world about us is, is what separates us from God. It's this sense of, I can't let go. This was done to me. This is what he did to me. This is what life did to me. This is what she said to me. They did this to me. And as long as we stay in this experience of, oh my God, look what somebody did to me, we can't let go. We can't let go. I suffered so much. I can't let go. Yes, you can. Because, yes, there was suffering there. There was pain there. There was crisis there. But nobody did it to you. God gave you that experience because there's a learning experience there for you. And it's not because you are separate, because you're connected to God, because God is leading you on a path where he wants you to go. And if you understand that, if you understand that everything in our experience is a learning moment from God to you, that you can say, aha, I got the point. I see, well, maybe I didn't get the point, but I see that this experience was here for me to learn. Okay, I can step back put my ego aside and look at this experience, at this pain, at this crisis, whatever it is, from a place of humbleness, from the place of learning, and try to understand what is the learning moment for me here. And once I get the learning moment, I can say, okay, this is why it happened. I learned my lesson. I can give it closure, and I can move on with the lesson towards something new. And to me, this connected to something very interesting that I learned this week with my learning partner, with my chavruta. This week, we were learning together a book called Kuntrus Umayyan, written by the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rebbe Arashab. And in it, he discusses when does life start, a very relevant discussion to today's political climate. Now, in today's political climate, an abortion happens when, usually when a woman has an unwanted pregnancy. And yes, there are different reasons why people choose abortion. Many times it's because the fetus is unsustainable or has a defect that will make his life or the mother's life very difficult. And sometimes there are health reasons that people have to have an abortion and, and a gazillion of other reasons. But many, many of the abortions 
happen because the mother says, huh, there's this new life. It's just not compatible with what I want. I don't want this baby now. It doesn't fit into my plans. It doesn't work for me now. And then the baby is aborted, not because there's a medical reason or because the psychological reason, but because it doesn't work for me. It's a mishap. This baby here is a mishap, and I don't want it. And I want to talk about these cases where we have this discussion of when does life start. So there's a lot of claims out there of what does Judaism say about when life starts. And the reason it is confusing is because Judaism says several things about the start of life. Because we don't have one soul. We have two souls. Our godly soul, also known as the good inclination, starts at conception, but it is only fully expressed when a person reaches the age of maturity, bar or bat mitzvah, 13 years for boys, 12 for girls. Our godly potential is there sitting, awaiting patiently for over 12 or 13 years to come out fully. Our animalistic soul, yes, we have two souls, a godly soul and an animal soul. So our animal soul, also known as the ego, the self-centered inclination, the animalistic drive, that enters and is fully expressed at the time of birth. And if you think about it, it makes so much sense. Our godly soul is the expression of all of our ultimate potential. The day God decided that the world could not go on without us. At the time of conception, God set in motion the trajectory of a person's life, determining the person's parents, family, environment, when they're born, at what stage in history, in what geographic setting, in what society, with which preferences, and so much more that shapes who we are and what we are before we can make any conscious choices. All of these factors fit perfectly with the mission that God has planned for us. Obviously, this toolkit also includes many challenges and difficulties, but overcoming them is precisely the reason we're brought into the world on this mission. And so all of those factors that God did not let us choose, that God chose for us, like who we are, what we are, where we are born, all of that is given us as a set of tools to work precisely with the kind of issues that we are supposed to solve in the world. The Tanya also writes that the emotional and spiritual environment and feeling of the parents at the time of conception also impacts the tools that the child will have to interface with the world. On the other hand, our animalistic soul, the drive for life that keeps us going, the one that we share with all the other animals in the world, that comes at birth. We don't really need that before. It's only when a person is born that they have this drive to keep themselves alive, that the baby cries to have its needs met, that our sense of self and separate ego become fully expressed. So when we say that life begins at birth, we reduce a human being, all of human beings, to the most animalistic existence. We basically deny the godly potential. We deny the fact that this baby is going to be born because God has a plan for it, because there's potential here. 
It's not just the little animal called human that is born. There's so much more, this potential. There is a vision for this human's life. But when that human that is not seen yet inconveniences its mother, we create an ideology that says, oh, it's not really real. It's not alive because it's born. So let's kill it. Now, once again, I know that there are different reasons people have abortions, and sometimes those are very valid reasons. And when that potential that is not out yet endangers the really fully expressed godly soul of the mother, so we have halacha, we have Jewish law that very carefully and differentiate, differentiates between different situations and gives us rules on what to do and how to do it. So we need to follow those rules carefully. But what I'm talking about now is abortions for the sake of abortion because a mother is inconvenienced by this baby. And look, yes, having a baby has a tremendous impact on the mother. Having had seven children, I understand that every single baby, every single child that you have absolutely impacts the mother and impacts the mother's life in a way that sometimes cannot be changed. Actually, never can be changed. But if we look at a situation and say, oh, I don't want this child right now. It doesn't fit into my plans. What a tragedy. What a crisis. Let's get rid of it. That's one way to approach it. But in the spirit of to be of, the way be the way to approach it is Something happened that did not fit into my plans. Something happened that is going to upend my life. It's a crisis. But let's look at it from the point of what does God want for me right now? And maybe God decided that although I didn't want this baby, God does want this baby. God has potential and a plan for this baby. So maybe I can start telling myself a different story. That I was chosen to bring this other new human being into the world and maybe I will change my plans to enable this new amazing human potential to take life and yes there will be a mourning period for my plans and yes I will need to change what I was thinking and yes I will have to make adjustments but after all of that I'm going to bring closure to what I thought would be and now celebrate this new life. Maybe if we could approach some of the unwanted pregnancies in this way, we could reduce the number of abortions and have more beautiful, amazing children enter more beautiful, amazing families and bring new life, new beautiful life to this world and actualize this amazing potential that God obviously thought has to happen, has to come into the world. So with these thoughts, I would like you to take this coming few days until Friday to think, what are the stories in your life that require closure? What are the stories in your life that you keep carrying around as baggage that are preventing you from doing things that you want, that prevent you from going forward? What are the things that tell you, I can't do that. That's for the young people. I'm too old. I'm too frail. I don't have this. I don't have that. What is the baggage you can take off? And what are the new beautiful white garments that you can possibly borrow from 
other people. Look around you. Look at other people doing amazing things and say, oh, look, I could do that too. I could try that as well. I could try in your beginning. Give yourself this to be off to get closure for what was and to start a new beautiful beginning as we start to wind down this year and prepare for the next one. So it was such a pleasure being with you here today. I'm going to be away next week because my family is taking a vacation, but in two weeks we'll be right back here with news from the Torah. I'm Leah Roney, sending you love, hugs, and blessing for much success. Bye-bye. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. Just click the orange button at the top of the IsraelNewsTalkRadio.home page, log in as yourself or an anonymous guest, and join in on the fun. You'll meet other listeners from all over the world who listen to Israel News Talk Radio, and you can make new friends. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. It's the closest you can get to being in the studio with us. We love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.